Consciousness is an investor. And it begins its journey in the physical plane by investing in its body, investing in the projections that others have invested in it, which become its first capital. Investing in the frame of reference offered by the family system. Investing in its complaints. Investing in its sexual fantasies and capacities for self-stimulation and becoming an object of desire for the other or finding objects willing to be seduced and using that as fuel, energy to be enabled to make further investments. But if that doesn't work out, then one tends to invest in anger, in fury, revenge, in constant self-talk of justification, of winning arguments, of rejecting the other, of rejecting oneself. And in defense mechanisms against knowing how bad one feels, or how lonely, or how alienated, or how lacking, how inadequate, how unworthy, how confused, how lost. And so the balance of payments turns out not to be very good in terms of the return on one's investments. And one finds oneself ever more bankrupt as one grows older. And thus one begins to deal in counterfeit currencies in order to support the ego's sense of value but it can't be redeemed, it doesn't pan out. They're just narcissistic fantasies with no hold upon reality, no traction, no exchange value, just fetishes of one's own enjoyment, but that are not real commodities because there is no market for them. And gradually, uh, one reaches a point in life where no one cares about your complaints. And your anger doesn't scare too many people. 
and your sexual come-ons don't have too many results. And the self-stimulation even gets boring. And the bankruptcy becomes all too obvious of the ego's inability to cope with the pressures of life and its lack of anything to offer to keep itself afloat within its own psychic equilibrium. It's at this point that one is either captured by the lower death drive or one makes a break from the prison of one's own investments and begins to detach from the ego identity that one realizes is the cause of one's suffering and that it is possible to disidentify from the very frame of reference in which all of those investments have taken place and have led to loss after loss after loss. It's at this point when one has activated the capacity for viveka, for discernment between the unreal and the real, the counterfeit and the genuine currency that one recognizes that the only valuable currency in life, in relationships, in the capacity to organize oneself coherently is the power of love. And if one can take the risk of investing in love, which requires the letting go of all of one's other investments and becoming vulnerable to the loss of the love of others, to the failure to be loved, and to choose the currency of love itself, not what love can get you, as the value that you hold on to. Then it is that power of love that leads you to the recognition that love is the manifestation of consciousness itself. But consciousness only in its pure form of presence, when it is not obscured by desire, by fear, by narcissistic self-talk and other mundane engagements of the mind. That love is linked to the purity of presence when there is no personality no veiling of love by ulterior motives. When love has been purified, 
of all the ways that it has been contaminated by being used as a way of controlling, possessing, seducing, intimidating, feeling superior, and trying to manipulate reality. But when we return to that purity of love, which is the purity of presence, there is again innocence, that state prior to the ego and its malevolent machinations to profit from its investments. And there becomes activated a capacity to attend to one's presence and to recognize that presence is the only capital that remains with us, the only power that is truly ours that cannot be taken from us. And when it comes to the understanding that there must be a choice made between presence and the world in which one has lost one's presence through investing in images and ambitions and intellectual concepts and career attainments and development of talents and abilities and projects and all of the ways in which our attention and our presence is scattered and lost in the multitasking that we are taught to engage in in order to be free from the burden of presence because we are taught that presence brings anxiety, because it brings the realization that you don't know who you are and that the whole ego system is a sham and that none of the diplomas on the wall or the notches on the bed or any of the other things one has gained in one's experience in life are valueless then do not yield a true identity. And that only that investment in presence, which requires an extvestment from the world, a detachment, a dispassion from all that you used presence to try to buy yourself or steal yourself from the other, was a waste of that precious commodity that presence is. And that you have never really understood or considered what the nature of presence actually is or can grant you. How magical, how miraculous, 
presence is when you remain true to it, when you remain faithful to presence. It is then that you recognize that all the religious mythologies were all about only that. All the terms for God or Buddha nature or the Tao or emptiness or fullness or transcendence or immanence, all of them are just terms for presence. Mythological covers for that which is too obvious to need to even have any stories or narratives made about it, which have ended up with our preferring the narrative to the presence itself. And so all of history is a series of stories about the capacity for presence that is never actually explored by most people throughout their entire lives. They never become present to their presence. And to become present to your presence requires letting go of all of those desires and fears that make you absent from your presence and more interested in the body or what the body can do. Without any understanding of what presence itself can accomplish. And so it is only when one seriously takes up the practice of meditation, which is the act of becoming present to your presence, that a variety of phenomena that we could locate both in the register of experience and of imperience, and then later of Sumerians, begin to emerge. And as they emerge, the frame of reference, the certainties, the fixations that one started with fall away because of a very high quotient of strangeness that emerges as a result of one's heightened presence. As one remains faithful to presence without secreting obscuring thoughts and images and emotions and various somatic symptoms to divert your attention or memories or worries or all of the various tricks that the ego mind can play to keep you absent and you recognize that the ego itself was just a game played by consciousness to avoid its presence, a toy, a kind of pacifier that's given to a baby to keep it from having to be too present to its aloneness. 
And finally, presence can accept that it is alone, that aloneness is the very condition, sine qua non, of presence. That presence reveals that there is no one who is present, not even oneself. And that there are no others who can enter into that presence. But when one holds the presence as an absolute stillness, then the presence reveals itself as an energy form, a light, a power. And this power begins to have effects spontaneously on the body. It begins to activate the pineal gland, for one thing. It begins to have the effect of squeezing out the nectar of immortality from that gland. That then spreads its effects throughout the brain and the central nervous system and activates conditions of conscious sense of embodiment as a luminous being, no longer a bodily being, and a being of interdimensional indeterminacy. And as the presence grows in heightened power and the sense of serenity and well-being become that of an overwhelming blissfulness, the world no longer becomes the place in which one occupies but presence itself is the place in which the world appears as a not very important set of images. And presence reveals itself as that which supersedes the illusions of time and space. With no interest in the narratives, the intrigues, the events of the physical plane, which are no longer even considered physical but simply appearances in presence. And presence in its losing interest in the phenomenal images of a world from which it now begins to graduate, to leave behind as an object of interest opens the portal to luminous dimensions 
that have always been here but never noticed, never recognized. That are far more real than what we took to be the reality of a, th a phenomenal plane that was a flux and a constant change and a constant series of losses. And we enter a dimension that is a constant gain, a constant augmentation of infinite energies and realizations. But beyond the frame of reference of an individual experiencing something other than itself. And it is this liberation from concern about the phenomenal plane and its illusory events that heightens the power of presence to focus evermore on its own innermost center. And in the same way that consciousness, when it was absent from itself, recognized the world as a kind of Mandelbrot set in which one could focus on the fractals of consciousness that appear at any level in terms of images that can be either cosmic or bodily or microscopic or molecular or atomic or subatomic, etc., etc. One finds that there is a similar scale of intensities and dimensionalities in the within as there are in the without. And that the very construction of our reality to compose it as a within and a without loses its validity as one enters into that which is recognized as the source of all appearance. But as the appearances become irrelevant and the urgency of knowing the seer of all that is seen. And the absolute divestment of any difference or separation or distance from that absolute center of seeing, of being, of knowing, is the only goal worth attaining. The stillness and the silence deepen as the approach to the absolute reaches infinite intensity.
and only in that glory of the fulfillment of the unification and the consummation of the search of consciousness for its own source that is indescribable in language. And that occurs on dimensions beyond the phenomenal that are here and yet not here. That the ultimate secret of presence is revealed to itself. It is this inner exploration, this climbing of the inner mountain of consciousness, not the outer mountains that are simply diversions from the great work of attaining full presence, grants the liberation from suffering, from illusion, from limitation. And from any sense of being a creature, lost, shipwrecked, karmically fallen into any world. but once more redeemed and redeeming as that creative power which underlies, which grounds, which grants reality to all that appears and which can never be lost. There is no substitute for living in this non-duality that grants the capacity to prevail over all external events, including that of death of the body. That is the only attainment that brings real peace and all of the other gifts of the supreme real that you are.